This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Well, I'd like to start off by, again, thank you all for participating in the microcap workshop today. Um, I hope you all took some, uh, some great notes, copious notes. There will be a quiz later tonight. Sorry, that's, a, that's my father's joke, so you, if you're not laughing, it's, it's, it's his fault. Um, but I really appreciate you all participating and being here in Las Vegas in person for this Planet Microcap Showcase. It's been three years, so we're just, we're so pumped to be back in person and ready to rock. So, for, I think most of you that I'm seeing are, are listeners to the show, but I host this podcast called the Planet Microcap Podcast. Uh, we've been doing it since 2015. Um, in the last two and a half, three years, it's really grown quite a bit in popularity, which we're very thankful and humbled by. And, um, you know, every year that we do this conference, we always like to close out the Microcap uh, Investing Workshop with this live panel. So joining me today are a few of uh, uh, close colleagues and friends that have been on the show uh, quite a few times. So uh, let's let's dig right in. So I'll do it like on the show. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. Joining me today is Gary Reby right, from uh, Accretive Wealth Partners as well as the host of In the Market Trenches. On a slight hiatus for now. Slight hiatus. Slight hiatus. I miss your intro music. Yeah. yeah. Um, we also have Brandon Mackey from Small Cap Discoveries. Hello, everyone. As well as Emily Paxian from Poseidon Investment Management. Hello. And Jason Hirschman from Hudson 215 Capital. Good evening, Las Vegas. <laughs> All right. There we go. There it is. His microphone's working. Hey. There it is. Well, before we get into the topic of the day and talking about kind of a current state of the union, what's going on in microcaps, for those that don't eat, know each of you, you know, can you guys give us that you know, one or two lines that of your background, so I'll, I'll make my way down. So Gary, let's start with you. So uh, let's see, so I run an RA in New Jersey. We manage money for some families. Uh, my partner, Eric, and I, and some of our friends, we get into a lot of interesting situations in microcap land in all different ways, shapes, and sizes. Uh, and uh, we've met a lot of interesting people along the way, and we've learned a lot by uh, you know, the, ex the experiences. So that's really it. Brandon? Hi. Hello everyone. Um, good to see a lot of familiar faces out there. Uh, my name's Brandon, for those who don't know me. I was a, uh, a founding member of a newsletter called Small Cap Discoveries, which some of you may know, focused on Canadian non-resource stocks with Paul Andriola. Um, a few years ago, I uh, took a step back from investing and, and started my own um, e-commerce brand uh, in, the, in the US. We made snacks for people on keto and low-carb diets. It was a fun little diversion uh, as an operator. Um, six weeks ago, sold the company and am now coming back into investing and um, excited to be back. All right. Hello, everyone. I am Emily Paxia, co-founder and managing partner of Poseidon. Poseidon is an investment firm that's been dedicated to investing in the cannabis industry since 
January of 2014. Uh, our first fund strategy was a hybrid strategy, so we did have about 20% of it allocated to the public markets, definitely microcaps, uh, and then some private investments, and actually really along the entire capital spectrum. Our second and third funds are private investment vehicles. One was focused a little later stage, Series A or later. The third fund was focused is focused on post-seed stage. We are actively allocating out of that in the mindset that we do think we can get some really interesting entry points and also find disruptive companies or new companies that will fill gaps in the industry. And then we just launched an ETF in November of last of 2021, um, kind of launched it into a buzzsaw. Our market has not been doing that well, but I'm very, very bullish on the underlying companies and the fundamentals of those businesses because seeing the EBITDA profiles, seeing the growth profiles of these businesses and the stair step uh, change we'll be seeing with the new markets opening. I'm, I'm pretty excited about the go forward. Jason? Well, Bobby, I have the best job in the world, which is I just invest in microcaps for myself and my family under Hudson 215 Capital, and that's all I get to do, and that is all I want to do. So that's that. As well as tweet <laughs> under uh, A-Track as well. And that too. And that too. Twitter so, wars. Yeah, <laughs> and that's, that too. too. Good stuff. You do well, have the best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so for today's topic, uh, we really wanted to, like I said, talk about kind of a state of the union, what's going on in microcaps, and we wanted to give a little context. You know, we, we started an index earlier this year called the Microcap Review Index, and, uh, you know, picked a great time to start it. It's uh, year-to-date's down to just 16.56%. Um, still doing better than the Russell. But, you know, that, that came, the, the question that arise from me from seeing some of this data just on our own was like, all right, are we... Are we in this microcap bear market? Is that what we're seeing right now? Is that what we can expect going forward now for a little bit? But you know, wanted to get everybody's opinion on whether or not you guys think that we're in this or what people perceive to be a microcap bear market. So, Jason, since we you were last to give your bio, I'm going to come to you first. You know, what do you think? Are we, and, and if so, why? I think if you owned microcap stocks in April, yes. <laughs> Guess what? Congratulations, you, know, you have now enjoyed owning stocks in a microcap bear market. And you know, I, I think one thing I will say is that you know, moments like this really sort of make you doubt like, your, like the way you invest, right? And there's always the sense like, well, do I need to change my strategy? Do I need to introduce more commodities? Do I need to follow those guys on Twitter so who somehow are up 642% year to date in 2022? Though they never tell you what they did in 2021 or 2020, <laughs> right? And one thing that's sort of given me comfort is like an old Peter Lynch article that I have here um, that he wrote for Worth magazine called The Stock Market Hit Parade, which, which details like the best performing stocks from 1973 to 1983. And that was a time of rising interest rates, rising inflation, two energy crises, Soviet Union and, you know, uh, going into Afghanistan. And if you look at this list here, number two, Pulte Corporation, okay? A home building stock, despite the rising interest rates. Number four, Southwest Airlines. Okay, number 17, Mirage Resorts, which was a Steve Wynn vehicle here in Las Vegas. And so I, I think the thing to remember always, like in bear markets, it's actually best to stick to your knitting, stick to what you do best. And if you're a long-term focused shareholder, uh, focusing on like non-commodities, if that's your thing, then there's always going to be plenty of opportunities out there. So 
Yes, we're in a bear market, but the answer is double down on what you do best. So we're gonna come back to you in a little bit when we're gonna talk about if, if we all are in consensus that is, is a yes or no, it doesn't really matter, I guess, but we, I wanna come back to what now you're, how you deploy capital or not. Um, so moving on to Emily, you know, what, what's your opinion on this? Yeah, well, <clears throat> in my industry, we've been living in a bear market cycle more than not because we're in this kind of emerging market cycle and we do have these kind of externalities or artificial um, kind of impacts on our market because of the lack of custody due to the federal status of cannabis and also uh, the fact that some of these companies are not, are not listed on the exchanges even though they actually should be based on, on their actual businesses and fundamentals. But all of that being said, I mean, what I've been seeing in the broader markets and it's something I watch because as we're entering into potentially or are in a bear cycle on the more macro level, it's correlations go to one and I'm watching how this can impact our our companies as well, but the thing that I can't get over is how well the markets have been running, the multiples we've been seeing, and you know, over the last year we've seen a gapping down of that. And it may be just an important time that we have to do a reset and really think about the way that we value businesses. There has been a growth at all costs mentality, and maybe that's exciting for a lot of people. And I do think it drives innovation, which we need to have in in this country in particular. And so I'm very much behind innovation, but I think we can we can take a look at this, and I think what that as an opportunity, an opportunity to look at the actual core businesses. Um, you know, you, you could see we were just talking about it before we came up here tonight about the earnings out of Lyft and that Uber moved their call till tomorrow morning. And then we were seeing how this is playing out and, and Lyft revised their go forward EBITDA to 1% of the business. It's an interesting idea considering how we're looking at things. And if you want to talk about uh, a bear market cycle, I mean, from what I saw, Tiger Global is down 44% through April. And that was a group that seemed like they had the Midas touch going going into these growth rounds and, and driving valuations to extraordinary levels. And I think we're just seeing a great reset here. And, and I, I know it's painful to go through it, but sometimes I think some of the best businesses and best investment opportunities come out of these cycles. Very good. Brandon? Yeah, well, I've been in an interesting position having taken some time away these last few years. I didn't sell all my positions, but I wasn't really actively investing that much. In I was going to say, you picked a good time to come back in. So from my standpoint, it kind of seems like the same market as when I left it in, in 2018, 20. Apparently, some people made a whole bunch of money these last couple of years, but I, the point of that is, like, I think that question, it's all relative, right? So it's like, you, you as an investor, you get hooked on a certain level of, of growth and prices and you become accustomed to that. And then when things change, you view it relative to that. So if you want to say you know, relative to April or you know, are relative to the beginning of the year, year to date, are we in a bear market? Yes, there's a mathematical answer to that. And there can be certain psychological pain that comes with that. But if you were to think about relative to 2020 or 2019 or 2018, even a fund that might be down 50% year to date, might be up two or three hundred percent from from that time period, so I think it's important to keep in mind your time horizon and uh, not get so fix, fixated on your day because it's been an extraordinary move uh, over the last few years. And one thing that's interesting, kind of watching from afar and coming back in, is that's unique to a micro cap bear market. Is if you think about the broader macro environment, you know when when uh, larger cap stocks are in a bear market, you, you think about the red tape, big declines down, high volume. 
And one thing that's unique about a micro cap bear market is a lot of times, yes, you have that, stocks go down, but more so than anything, you almost get like no activity. Uh, there's, there's big swings in the, the bid ask spread. And I think that can om- almost be psychologically more difficult for the micro cap investor than just seeing stocks kind of go down on a consistent basis like some of the large caps. And I think to Jason's point, that's what really tests your patience is to come in every day and see almost nothing happening and no one talking on forums and barely anything trades, I think really can make you question your, um, your mindset and your strategy. And so I, I personally, I like that. I get really excited when, no, when a great earnings report comes out and the stock does absolutely nothing and it doesn't trade, no one's talking about it, I get excited. And I'm, I'm starting to see that. So maybe that says, yes, we're in a microcap bear market because that's happening. But I also think that's an exciting thing because, you know, a bear market and a reset is ultimately what you need to set the stage for higher future returns. Well said. Yeah. All right, Gary, what's your thoughts? Well, I think, I think, it's, I think it's an interesting question. Um, you know, there's a saying that the, the market is a market of stocks. I don't, I don't think there's any subset of stocks that it's more true of than, than microcap stocks. And so, um, you know, I, I, to get to some of the things that Brandon was saying, like price in the market, particularly in the microcap area, is, is set by the incremental buyer and seller. And so um, the price action would obviously indicate that there's, there's some sort of bear market that it's, that's not true of all microcaps. But it's true of a lot of them, uh, and it's some of it is a function of the liquidity more so than it is the actual conditions. That, uh, so, you know, in my world, in my mind, the the fundamentals of a business change a lot less than the price that you see. So, um, you just have to be cognizant, particularly in microcap land, of whether liquidity is coming in or going out. And um, you know, it's you know, there's all kinds of different ways to invest, um, but in, in microcap land, sometimes. You know, you, you got to feed the birdies when they're hungry, and you got to, uh, you know, I don't know what the opposite of that is when people are selling, but be one of the birdies <laughs> that everyone wants to sell. Um, and you can sort of, if you know what it is you're doing, it's one of those rare areas where you can have advantages that are legal and informational in nature or behavioral in nature or all kinds of different, different advantages that you can have that you can press. Um, and a lot of them just stem from being able to act differently and provide liquidity. And sometimes you get paid for providing liquidity, and sometimes uh, you get paid to provide liquidity. You know, it's, uh, I, I don't know about a bear market, but there's a lot of things that are down, so there's stuff to do. Well, uh, people like hearing historical examples, right? When we're trying to understand you know, where we're at in terms of, oh, sorry. When we're trying to understand where we're at, whether bear market, bull market, you know, just basically just a state of exact where so in what we're going through right now in microcaps and even if you want to give more of a macro perspective i mean can you think back to a time that is similar to what we're experiencing right now and then how you may have uh, acted during that time your strategy from there um you know i'm gonna go back around we're gonna do like a snake draft kind of thing so gary i'm gonna come to you jeez i gotta shoot first yes. all right um a time that's like encyclopedia this. dude you're fine you got it I don't think that there's any one time that's exactly like what we're dealing with right now. So um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of times that rhyme. Uh, there's a lot of parts of other times that are that are very similar to what we're dealing with now. But I don't think 
on the whole that there's anything that's exactly the same because uh, the markets are a little. I mean, the, the markets are a little bit different. The structures are a little bit different. Um, the problems are a little different. In some ways, they're more condensed. In some ways, they're uh, they're worse than than, than 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 what they were pan, uh, pandemic. But uh, what I've observed is that this pandemic had a real way of sort of compressing cycles. And uh, you know, I, I'm very interested to see when we get back to a more longer, more normal regime like we had pre-pandemic. Um, my, guess, my guess is that'll be sooner rather than later, but I don't know. who the heck knows? Hope's okay. That's fine. Right. Brent? Yeah. Well, it's. I think you got to think about um, what are the trends and the dynamics of the very specific sector in which you operate. Um, I think as microcap investors, we are by definition investing in a niche part of the market. And then some people are in even more narrow niches of that. For example, I invest exclusively in Canadian non-resource microcap stocks. And so... My condolences. <laughs> hey, it's been, it's been all right the last few years. It's been, it's been a good run. And so the, the point of that is the dynamics that are going to operate in those, in that little tiny world, that sliver that I and a few other kind of weird, crazy people operate in, might be very different than what is happening in the broader markets. Things like you know the war in the Ukraine and interest rates, those are all important. You cannot ignore them. But a lot of times, um, that's not what's ultimately going to determine what type of market it is, it, you know, where the stocks that you pick are. And so to answer that, I would think about you know, when is a time in that niche where I've, I felt like that. And I'd probably go back to you know, 2015. It was a time period where you know, just everyone was a little bit uh, bearish, you know, and people weren't celebrating, you know, when you come to these conferences, there's always the 10 baggers, and that's always what people talk about at the cocktail hour, and that's how you can kind of gauge where are we, and when the mood is a little sour, when people don't have the 10 baggers to sort of bring up and brag about, everyone's a little bit down, <laughs> that, that again gets me excited, and I think the last time I remember that was, yeah, like around 2015 was, you know, not a lot to be excited about. Microcaps are down. Um, the broader market had done all right going from like 2011 to 2015. There'd been you know, good price action in the S&P. Um, but really, it was, it was a stock picker's market because news was coming out. Nothing was really moving. People didn't have those, those good wins to talk about. And if you look back to that time period, you know, what were the stocks that came from that? Um, Expel tech, that was really the golden age of Expel Technologies, uh, which, full disclosure, I do not, well, I do own uh, a small bit, not as much as I, I did at one point. Um, those kind of stocks were doing really well. People weren't really talking about them that much. Um, and if you go on fast forward to now, I mean, that's one of the best performing stocks in uh, North America. It's changed people's lives. Um, and that's kind of where I feel like now. I feel like it's a real stock picker's market. I feel like you know great companies are being formed um, and having breakthrough performances, and really no one's paying attention. And I think that's what gets me excited. I still think the market and you know, could have a lot further to go down for sure. Uh, and there's macro forces that might be troubling, you know, with interest rates and the war. But to Jason's point, that's always been the case. There's always been headline things that would tell you, hey, don't look at stocks, don't invest. And that's rarely, over long term, proven to be a good strategy. So I'm personally excited and, and see it as potentially a microcap 
stock pickers market. Um, who knows how long it'll last, but it feels like we're, we're there, at least relative to years past. Emily, I, I know there, we have a, cannabis, there's a few examples we can draw on probably, so love to hear your thoughts here. Um, sure, it's, it's interesting because it actually follows the same time frame. Um, so when our, when our market really opened, it was January 2014 when Colorado had their first adult use sales, and the stocks all went parabolic during that time. It was, it was a time of uh, frenzy, a time of hype. And then the Canadian... Uh, government federally legalized uh, uh, medical cannabis and at that time we were looking at some of what we call licensed producers and there are a couple of names I won't say them but they were trading sub a dollar in sub a Canadian dollar and it was you know sometimes I feel like it's like dance as if no one's watching invest if, as if no one's looking because that's where you can find some really good opportunities and what we were seeing was this unlocking of what was a metric that would be driving growth which is patient counts so that means all of the people who would be eligible to receive medical cards in Canada and then to procure cannabis through the federal and legal program um, nobody was paying attention. It was a lack of liquidity. And so we were able to gain entry points into those companies at sub a Canadian dollar. And as you watched the institutional uh, groups start to pay attention to this and see the potential growth around these companies, everything began to change. And you saw these companies just absolutely grow within a year, two years. And for us, it was, a, it was a great period of growth. We saw tremendous returns on that, and then we rotated capital into the United States where we saw kind of a similar pattern evolving. Um, so where we are right now feels very much like that time, and it was really in 2015 when there was just no one around these names. In the United States, we just saw the New Jersey markets open. Just to give you a sense of the growth of these stores, some of the doors on day one did $200,000 in that first day. On average, these doors were doing over $80,000 a day for the, the following couple of days, and we're seeing massive numbers coming out of these doors. That market opened. We saw these impressive things. We saw lines around the corner. We saw people celebrating the opportunity to purchase legal cannabis right outside of New York City, right outside of Philadelphia, and the stocks were flat and then they went down. And so what t this tells me is just, again, we have that lack of liquidity, we have lack of interest around these names just because the market cycles have been difficult because of the lack of institutional investors or the lack of liquidity around these names. And so it just, it feels, I was thinking about it this morning as I was getting off the plane, I, I feel similar to during that time where I'm looking around and I'm just wondering why no one's paying attention to companies that are showing that level of growth and growth going forward with New York opening, Connecticut opening, Maryland. So it's just, it's just an interesting time, but it does remind me of that cycle. Interesting. Jason? Well, first of all, before I make a more serious comment, I want to say that Brandon, you can tell that he's a great microcap investor because he really truly enjoys and celebrates pain and suffering. <laughs> and that's probably why he's also a single guy. But, <laughs> but in terms of microcap investing, it's a really good attribute to have. I will say, in some ways, this, this market sort of reminds me less of 2015 when like, microcaps seem to be like the only people really suffering, and more 2018, because a lot of stocks are down, right? But I would say what's, what makes like, the microcap market particularly special in these moments is that often in like, the, the tiniest little nanocaps or, or, or microcaps, and usually you may have like, in a normal market, two or three guys buying and two or three guys selling. 
and now it's shifted to like four or five guys selling. And guess what? You may be the only guy who's interested in the stock buying, right? So there's a really great opportunity if you are a buyer to, you know, frankly entice the bids to come down lower, not to eat, no, not to, 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 to bite on them. Uh, and you get some really great opportunities. Uh, and there's a lot of times there's opportunities because just somebody's just nervous and just dumps the stock and, and, and a name that you've always wanted is suddenly down 30% for about 45 minutes, but it's down 30%. So I, it's really, you know, it's, it's a fantastic time to be a, to be an investor. But then finally, you know, let's, let's admit it, as microcap investors, we, we, we're always enjoying it. We always enjoy the good times and the bad times. We feed on it. So yeah, it's, it's a great time to be an investor, but it always is. Always is. That's right. <laughs> so before we get to Q and A, because I'm, I'm just, I'm really curious to hear to get some questions from our audience because uh, it's our first live panel in three years. But before we get to that, you know, my final question for everybody here is um, your strategy right now. You know, how you're either deploying capital, not deploying capital, stay on the sidelines, adding to positions, selling positions. Love to hear what's going on there. Like I said, snake draft. So, uh, Jason, back to you. Well, my, my general approach is if I find one or two names a year that I really like, that's a, that's a good year. I'm a pretty concentrated investor. So it makes it a little easier to find a, a name at a price that I like. Um, but, but the process is always the same, looking for something that's special, something that's unique, something that, that really can grow into a much larger business, but just hasn't been appreciated by other investors. And that's always tough, right? Because it's, you know, even as small a market as the microcap market is, there are a lot of really good investors out there, and they're doing the same job I am. So it's, it's difficult to come up with a slightly different, unique, and fr quite frankly, opinion that, that proves to be right. Uh, but that's always been my game, and, and I hopefully will be the game for the while going forward, too. Emily? Yeah, I'll just run down a couple. But we're definitely looking at the balance sheets of the company, just knowing if the equity markets remain difficult for these operators that and and if they've tapped out their lending and their leverage capabilities. We just want to understand that they can continue to ex execute on the CapEx and expansion that they're doing. Um, we're watching to see who we think could be the, you know, during these cycles, I do think you see um, heightened consolidation in M&A. And so we're looking at who can be the consolidator and do so efficiently and, and leverage the the stock that they do have or a mix of stock and cash and, and who's the smartest about that. And then we're just looking at who's poised to capture the continued growth of the market just from a fundamental standpoint because while the stocks remain this way, I'm just looking at businesses that are growing. So we're watching those things so that they can be continuing to really take those big steps in growing their businesses so that when the market comes alive again and we see the renewed interest that, that they can look alive for it. Brandon? Cash is king. <laughs> well, it's funny because you know, with, with inflation and everything going on, like conceptually, like not at all. It's the worst thing that you could have. You should be in productive um, assets. But on the other hand, and this is something I've learned, you know, from my younger years, is having money to deploy and being able to be opportunistic has a lot of value. And so I'm really trying to keep a healthy cash balance. And I think that's true now. I think it could become even more true if the markets continue to be challenged, to be able to take advantage. Um, to Jason's point, if you have, you're the only buyer and there's four or five sellers, I mean, you could you know, really get some attractive prices. So I'm keeping a really healthy cash balance to be opportunistic. Um, 
Number two is uh, prioritizing companies that don't need to raise money. Um, I think no one knows what's going to happen in the future, but it's probably more likely than not that the funding environment will be more challenged than it's been in the last few years. That's just probably simple mean reversion. So really trying to make sure that the company doesn't need to continue to raise money. Uh, and then number three is just follow the numbers, the financials. I think in a market like this with all this headline macro stuff, it's really easy to have biases and think, well, this industry or this company shouldn't be doing well. But at the end of the day, the financials will tell you 80% of what you need to know. And there's companies that are executing and doing great things in almost every industry, regardless of what the macro trends say, and really trying to let that uh, guide my thinking. And that's really true in any market, but especially here with, with kind of this bearish, opportunistic landscape that we have. All right, Garrett? Wow. You guys are way more eloquent than me. I, I made a couple notes about how to address this, uh, what's going on these days. So my first note on this is just simply to, to play within, play your own game. Play the game that like I know how to play, that I'm set up to play well. So what I've learned over time and years as an investor is there's, you know, I've, I've lost money all kinds of different ways. I keep inventing new ways to lose money, but I've found that there are certain things that I do, certain types of investment situations, but like I'm actually suit up, I'm actually reasonably well suited to, to invest in those types of situations. And so then I, I just look for those situations and just try to play within that situation. Um, and that could be something happening at a company, there's a, comp there's a corporate action, there's a spinoff, there's a restructuring, there's, 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 there's something going on and, and we're taking a look, looking to do something and maybe like, just, just like Jason, maybe I find one or two of those things to do a year and when I find them and they look good, I try to swing kind of hard just so they're, just so they're meaningful. Um, and a lot beyond that, it's like what Brennan was saying with having some cash. Alternatively to having cash, just knowing what your pecking order of things that you're going to sell to generate cash is, is, is kind of important. Um, and it's just sort of waiting. And, and when it's uncertain, I try to focus more on what I know and what I know well over what I don't know. Um, because especially in microcap land, it's possible for you to know more than anybody else that's transacting in a security that, doesn't, that isn't in the C-suite of the company. So. Um, if there are situations that, that you know like that, then, then you, you do have an advantage when things are going on. So um, that's what I've tried to do um, up to this point. Like this micro cap bear market hasn't felt too, too bad to me. Um, in March of 20 felt worse because most micro cap companies had real solvency risk. And yeah. I don't know if that's the case here. So, um, but right now it's, it's just waiting for your, a lot of focusing on what I know and waiting for that pitch. Perfect. All right. Well, we got we got about five ten minutes left, and I figured let's open it up to Q and A. So, does anybody have any questions for any of our panelists that they want to uh, throw out there? So, I think we're at a really interesting inflection point uh, right now. Um, the past two years have been focused on the world is unlike we've ever seen before, and how can we get ahead of of you know the the innovation. And now, what I've seen is that. We're going. We're we're getting back to the way things were. We're, here we are in person. You go down the escalator and you look out into the casino. We're all getting back to things that we that we've loved, and we are all creatures of comfort. And my question to you is, and I found that I like to go. I'm getting back into traveling. I'm getting back to the things that I've done before. So my question to you is, will we continue to see? innovation and will we continue to want to to 
invest in new technologies or do we want to maybe take a look at what what we've enjoyed in the past um, I don't know if that question makes sense but that's that's sort of <laughs> there you go <laughs> is it should we be looking for disruptive innovation versus uh, you know yeah I'm not any good at that. You guys? Yeah, I, I, I think there's something interesting there. Like when, when COVID happened, people said the, the world is forever changed. All the rules of investing or business are, are off and there's a whole new paradigm in reality. And I think, you know, that, that's been said many times before, but I think largely it proves untrue. You know, I, I always believe that the, while the future will grow and be exciting, many elements of human nature will be they'll just be more familiar than they will be different. That's how we are. You know, we, I, I never believed that we would never want to be in person again or people would really be scared to go and step foot in a grocery store again. And I just, I never really bought into that thesis. And so from that lens, I think we're, we're already seeing that. Yeah, people are going to casinos again, they're going on cruises. I think that's a good bet from an investment standpoint. Um, but at the same time, does that mean like new inventions and technology are, are never going to happen again. I think the remote work is an interesting thing. Like, that's a case where people aren't going to go back five days a week. That actually has probably changed forever. Um, it's not going to be totally remote, but that's a case where it won't be exactly like it was before. And, and so it's, it's kind of like two steps forward, one step back, I think would be an interesting framework to think about it. And it's never as extreme, I think, as, as a lot of people make it out to be. I just don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think that the world can be augmented through innovation and we can have the things that we always love. So just a quick example is innovation in brick and mortar retail technology solutions that can help move bodies through doors and help people to have a more bespoke experience within the door. Apple was always good at doing that, but I think other uh, channels are getting better at it. So that's, but I think that was very much kind of, um, sparked by COVID when you didn't want to be in a door with people if you had to go and, and you're in a mask and dealing with all of that. So I think that maybe things can be better and bring back the same things that we always loved. Hi, I'm, I'm invested in three main sectors, FinTech, cannabis, and biotech, general biotech. On the cannabis side, uh, is it better to kind of like, I've been focusing on more on the biotech side uh -huh. and medicine side. Yeah. Um, and then I, the projects I've had in retail all fails. Um, I'm kind of looking, what, where are the opportunities in cannabis going forward? Uh, I guess the way I think about it is in terms of timing. Um, the pharmaceutical or, yeah, the more pharmaceutical opportunities or biotech opportunities, well, like biotech are a little bit more of a binary outcome. You might see a massive outcome on it and it may just die in the process or, I just think it has a longer tail because there's a lot of um, barriers to that. Um, an example of a company which I do, don't own anymore, which we did at the outset of our firm, is GW Pharmaceutical. They were the first to get a patent on Epidiolex, and they've seen great success with that. And, and people really love it, and now it can be insured for them. So it's a tremendous um, innovation there. But um, I, I think it's a timing thing. I think in the short term, you'll see more opportunity probably in, in what we call the adult use or recreational aspects of the market, albeit very difficult to invest because of where those names live and the liquidity issues, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I, I just think about them as just kind of two different timelines. 
Howdy, folks. <laughs> I love seeing all you young people up there. <laughs> Don't make the same mistakes I made, anyway. So, here's my question. Um, your gatherers, your, your intellect is keeping you astute as to your investments. When do you get tempted to change your strategy from buy and hold to day trading? Or you see an opportunity, you figure you can get in, it goes up, you might want to dump out. It's not necessarily what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, but how do you pass up that opportunity when you see it? You know, uh, honestly, I, I'm probably, uh, this is going to sound obnoxious, but I, I, I don't feel tempted to do something that doesn't work for me. Um, it just doesn't work for me to be, to be a day trader. Now, if you're a great day trader, and a lot of people are great day traders, a lot of people are great swing traders. I think, you know, it works for them, and that's what they should do. But for me, just over time, it's, it's, it's paid off that, uh, you know, early on, I learned out that a lot of times I, I would see things I sold. It's like, hey, continue to go up. Maybe I should hold on for them a little longer, right? And then, you know, eventually you find a pattern that works for you. Now, the problem is, um, to be, you know, to be fair, I mean, we're still youngish people on the panel. Uh, these three are. <laughs> and, and uh, <laughs> you know, sooner or later, uh, you do have to change your strategy, and you do have to adapt, because you can't do one approach for your t entire career. It just doesn't work. Um, and it's, it's very tough to see that. Like, for example, right now, one question we haven't talked about is whether we're shifting from a you know, like growth investing style to a, a value investing style, right? And we may be on that, on that, that transition point. And then uh, we saw in you know, the previous cycle, like around you know, 2000 to 2006, value investing was great. And then it wasn't, and a lot of value investors couldn't shift. Um, so, I mean, I'm sort of taking your question and moving it into a different direction. But the, the answer is, in essence, you stick with what works for you until for a while it doesn't work for you, and then you've got to shift. I mean, I, I think that's, the, that's just the basic, the basic answer. Just, just to add to that, I think the, the, the biggest risk, you know, we're human beings, we're mimetic creatures, and so the, it's, everything's fine and dandy until the moment that somebody else is making money with a different strategy. And as soon as you hear that one of your colleagues has made, you know, a 10x return on something, that is the moment that you will start to question everything you're doing, and I think you just need to be really aware with who you're surrounding yourself with, what information. Particularly if you have a low opinion of that person. Too. That's right. <laughs> and so that's why maybe you stay off Twitter because those are the kind of things that can, you know, after a while, subconsciously make you question what you're doing, and that's why a lot of great microcap investors they kind of just lock themselves away and read filings all day. And don't get caught up in that because it is a huge risk, especially with social media and a lot of the things that have happened in the investing technology space for the last 10 years. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I try to continually expand sort of what I know. Um, what you, what's important is that you recognize when you're at the edges of what you know how to do and sort of size what you're doing accordingly because in part what you're doing is almost an experiment. So. Do you want to experiment with large amounts of money and lose lots of money, or do you want to experiment with small amounts of money and lose small amounts of money? Well, I prefer my experiments to be with small amounts of money if, um, if, I, if I know that I'm experimenting. Um, the same thing goes with, with, with trades, so it's hard not to get sucked into, you know, for some people it's easier, but, you know, 
there was a, when there's a when there's a frenzy, it's it's very easy to get sort of distracted by that and drawn into it. And, and if you have to gamble, gamble a little bit. You know, like that's that's at least from where I see. Yeah, and I'd also add like in microcaps, um, you know, they're generally a liquid, so it's not easy to get out. Yeah. Right. So you better have a good thesis, you know, before getting in because. You know, it, especially as, as your portfolio grows and you have to, you know, invest. I mean, you could take, you know, not just a uh, not just a nanosecond, but literally two weeks to get out of a name or, or longer, and that could be a really painful two weeks if you're wrong. As you as your money grows in size, what you need to do to optimize your net worth, you know, that it changes at various factors, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think we got time for one more question. Harris. Make it a good one, Harris. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks. Um, it's sort of half-baked, so take it for what it is. Um, <laughs> so I'm hearing a lot of people um, with interesting pitches of companies that are still going through some sort of transition COVID-related. Either they were COVID beneficiaries and they're coming off of it, or they were uh, COVID losers and they're bouncing back. Do you right now have any bias in favor of looking at one of those groups versus the other? And uh, do you have any interest in just avoiding stuff that's too complicated with uh, COVID winners and losers in general? Thanks. Do, quick question. Do they have a thesis for when we have another pandemic? Uh, yeah, I think uh, three weeks from now. Yeah. No, but I mean, is that part of oh, their... No, okay. no, no, sorry. Yeah. Understood. I, yeah, actually, I have a bias towards COVID beneficiary coming off that because it seems like a lot of investors are very negative on those names because they associate it as a quote-unquote COVID stock and it, it's over, it's overplayed, thesis is played out. But in reality, a lot of those companies, they have a really solid core business that's non-COVID related. A, a good example of this would be Microbics. Uh, it's a Canadian stock. I, I, I do own the, uh, the company. And that's one where they have a great um, biotech business. COVID came, they opportunistically got into it. They got some really good sales volume from um, the Ontario government. That's coming down now, but like the reality is, is there's so much more of a business there that people are ignoring because they frame it as a COVID stock, when in reality, uh, it was just an opportunistic play. So I think you're going to find probably better value there, whereas like a COVID loser that's bouncing back now is probably a lot easier for people to be bullish on. The thesis is obvious, and I suspect that you'll probably see higher valuations, maybe overvaluations in those type of companies. Anyone else? Jason, Garrett, you, you go. You first, Garrett. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think it's hard to say. I mean, I think it depends the in what way a company was benefited or harmed from COVID. But there's a, at a certain level, you just have to look at it and do a little bit of hand wave and go, was it was this real at all? Any of it? You know, like, and you know, I think I've said that at least half a dozen times the last two months. Is, is, is this? Is, the last two years really really happened and been real? Um, <laughs> Bad dream. No. I, I, and, you know, I'm serious about markets and, and everything else. It feels like in a lot of ways we're back to where we started. And so um, I'm probably more interested in something that has a tough comp because of COVID, because the government sent the average family of four $8,000 in the first quarter of 2021 tax-free that didn't happen this year. Um, 
you know, there's that, that's that's more interesting to me than I think, um, you know, a cyclical COVID, that was a COVID loser or something. Um, but it's it's really hard. I mean, there's people are going to lose a lot of money on both sides. Would be my guess. So um, if, if you've cracked it, I'd like to hear your ideas. I, I think just to share the reason I asked the question is I think that there were COVID winners and what they did with those winnings and how they reinvested them into the company and, and what they did to set themselves up for continued success, whether or not the market recognizes it today, that's what I'm looking for. And if they were a COVID loser, how, and now they're coming back, did they learn from what it's like to get kind of slammed into that box during COVID and what are they planning to do on the go forward? So to me, that's how I'm thinking about it. If they became very rich in resources during that time, were they wise with those resources? Did they think about what it means on the go forward and the vice versa? Yeah, and I would add that right now, I think like COVID, like the so-called COVID winners are the most interesting ones because honestly, like everyone's disregarding them. If you look, you always have to look at the price. Like what is built into the, the, the growth of this company based on today's price. Uh, and you're really starting to see a lot of these COVID winners because people are just like, ah, COVID winner, you know? Uh, and, uh, you know, they're, but now they're, they're really way down in price. And so like, you know, they really don't have to win that much going forward. They don't even have to necessarily grow, just not shrink that much uh, in order to justify the price. Um, you know, it, it's, 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 it's always fun. It's always, you know, prices always are changing, so therefore your, your, your analysis always has to change. Yep. All right. I think that's it. Before we let everybody go, real quick, guys, uh, you know, for, for the camera, uh, where can people go and follow you on social media or get in touch with you for more information? So, uh, Gary, let's start with you. Oh, let's see. I've got uh, a website for my company uh, where my email address is there, so you guys can find it and email me. Uh, and then... Uh, I do have like a Twitter handle, but I'm more of a lurker than anything else. Um, but uh, it's at Enterprising INV for Enterprising Investor. If you want to slide into my DMs, I will respond to you. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. That's probably pretty much it. I just got invited to a WhatsApp group. But I don't know if that's, <laughs> oh, that's it's private. I think it's that private. might be private. So. Uh, yeah, I'm most active these days at uh, Small Cap Discoveries. So that's just smallcapdiscoveries.com. Um, we've got a forum there and uh, a newsletter as well, and I believe some some specials if you want to check out some of the, the past reports and stuff. But uh, it's a fun community, especially if you like obscure Canadian non-resource microgaps. Sweet. Emily? Yep. You can find us at our website, Poseidon.Partners. No dot com after that, just Poseidon.Partners. Um, on Twitter, we're pretty active because there's a pretty active community for our industry, it's at Poseidon Invest, or more directly, me at EMPAX1, um, and then we're on LinkedIn and everything. And Jason? Well, you can find uh, find me on, on Twitter at 8Track180. Uh, you can find me on Microcap Club at, at, at 8Track, uh, and you can just also uh, look up Hudson215Capital.com and, and contact me through, through that portal also. Well, with that, thank you all for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Uh, good luck. Stay safe. And uh, sorry, that's how I close out here. But let's go. Uh, let's go to this cocktail event. All right. Thank you. Thank, thank you, everyone. All right. Thank you. All right guys.